From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Hey friends, welcome back to The Dairy Show. And from all of us at World Dairy Expo, Happy New Year. We hope you had a wonderful holiday season filled with love and joy and, of course, lots and lots of laughter. I want to preface this episode a little bit because today's topic is mental health. And this is an area that I've wanted to explore for a while because I think it's something that impacts all of us, whether we are working on a farm or working in the industry or just living our daily lives. And This topic can get heavy at times, but we are going to try our best to keep it positive and uplifting. And to help us do that, uh, we've invited Emily Kreckelberg, an extension educator in farm safety and health, onto the show as our guest this week. So welcome to The Dairy Show, Emily. Thanks for having me, Katie. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's great to see your face as we record this. And Emily, as I welcome guests on the show. I do like to have them introduce themselves. So the floor is yours. Tell us a little bit about your background and your connection to agriculture. Yeah, great. Well, my name is Emily Kruckelberg, and I work for University of Minnesota Extension. I'm the Extension Educator for Farm Safety and Health. So a lot of my work is focused on accident prevention, suicide prevention, you know, any we kind of run the gamut here. Uh, I, I do it all. Any Anything I can do to help keep farmers safe and healthy on their farm, that is, that is my business. That is what I do. And I've been with Extension for close to nine years now. Prior to this, I was working in central Minnesota as a dairy educator. So I do have a, a very strong historied background in dairy. I grew up on my family's dairy farm in south central Minnesota and went to the University of Minnesota, and now I work for them. So it's all just full circle. Yeah, no kidding. So how did you make the switch, or why did you make the switch from dairy educator into this farm safety and health role? So for me, I have always had a big interest in farm safety, and a lot of that was due to my upbringing. So I did grow up on my family's dairy farm, and my dad about 40 years ago, so so prior to any of us kids being born, my dad lost his leg in a farming accident uh, when he was 19 years old. And because of that, we really grew up in an environment where farm safety was something that we were always acutely aware of. You know, my dad was really the one who taught us a lot about safety and let us ask questions about his leg and his accident and all of that. And so while dairy has has always been my background and my passion, farm safety has always been a passion for me as well. And an opportunity presented itself about two years ago for me to switch from my local dairy work to statewide farm safety and health work. And for me, it was just a really, really good fit. I also have a really big passion for mental health and stress management and farming and I get to do a lot of that work in this position as well, which I really enjoy. So a lot of it kind of boils back to to my family, to my upbringing, and then also to just my my passions and the things that I really care about. Yeah, and the mental health part is really what I want to talk with you about today. 
because I've seen a change in the conversation related to mental health. And I think it's shifted from this taboo topic and into something that we're just more willing to discuss. And maybe that's, you know, mine and your generation. But how have you seen this change take place, especially as it relates to agriculture and and farmers? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I first really got involved in in specifically mental health stuff with farmers a couple of years ago. It was, let me think here, September 11th of 2018, I got a call from a farmer that I am very good friends with and worked with a lot. And he was calling to tell me that another farmer from their neighborhood had died by suicide. And I had been aware of the growing issues with suicide in rural and agricultural communities and the stress farmers were feeling. But this was the first time that it was really at my front door. And this farmer, I could just tell as he was telling me this, he was really torn up about it. And then he had this kind of long pause, which was really not characteristic for him. This was a person who was usually very jovial and loud and talked nonstop. And he just goes, what are you going to do, Emily? And, you know, for some people, they would maybe take that as like, oh my gosh, you're putting all this on my plate. But for me, I really saw it as here's a person, here's a farmer who thinks that I, me, I can do something about this. And really, that was just the spark that lit the fire for me. And and ever since then, it has just been nonstop. You know, I am I am fully dedicated to this and anything I can do, I, I want to do. And I'm really fortunate that I've worked with a lot of great organizations and, and partners along the way. But whenever whenever I talk to this farmer, we still keep in touch. You know, I'm like, you did this. You started this, um, you know, but but that that was it for me. So when you're engaging with farmers at, I'm assuming, trainings or events, what do those conversations look like? What are you sharing with them as it relates to this this mental health topic? So with these farmers, I really focus on on sharing the basics and and keeping it really approachable and really comprehensible. And as you've kind of mentioned, mental health, mental illness, those are topics with a lot of stigma around them. So part of part of my mission is to really normalize those conversations. And so I do a lot of that through stories, which you kind of just saw. You know, I tell stories about farmers I've talked to and farmers that I've worked with. And I've worked with some families that have had a farmer die by suicide. And then, you know, I work with the survivors on that. And I find that those stories are definitely the most impactful way to share that message. Because what it does for a lot of people is it makes them go, okay, this this is something that other people experience. You know, I'm not alone. I I remember when I hosted my very first in-person event program that was only about mental health and farming. So up until that point, we had kind of thrown it on the end of programs as kind of a 15-minute thing. And I just said, nope, we're doing a full all-day program on this topic. And 
It was very scary. I didn't think anybody would show up. But in my mind, I thought, you know what? You have to do the programs that you think people aren't going to come to because you never know. And to my surprise, we had like 90 people come. But with that, we, we did evaluations at the end. And the most common comment that we saw on there was people going, I never realized that other people deal with this. Or like, I never realized that I'm not alone. And I think that that is just a huge realization for people to make that this is not something you need to deal with on your own. I know farmers, you know, and, and Katie, you're a farm kid too, you know, we're, we're raised to be a resilient bunch. We're raised to, to really be self-sufficient and to not have to ask for help. And so asking for help or admitting something's wrong can be really, really difficult. And we may feel like if something is wrong, then that's just completely on us. And that's not the case, you know, and, and people feel these things and, and it's a part of your overall health. So just for me, really being able to share stories about my, my own journey with, with mental health and mental illness, share stories from other farmers that have said, yeah, you can share my story with people. That has been just huge. That is what I really think is part of shifting the conversation. Because like you said, yeah, we are seeing more of it in agriculture. And really, I think agriculture is becoming kind of a leader in in breaking this down and and talking in just cultural groups about this. I I'm very active on Twitter and there is a really big kind of group of us on on agricultural Twitter that talk a lot about mental health and services and all of those kinds of things and I'm just not seeing that from from a lot of other industries and so I think that that's really really cool that we're able to do that. You mentioned talking about the basics of mental health. What are the basics? Like what, what's the groundwork of this area? For me, it really starts with getting people to see their mental health as a part of their health. So when we hear the word health, it's very, very common for us to instantly think physical health, think about our bodies and when we're talking about mental health, we're talking about our brains, which are in fact a part of our body. An example that I really like to use with farmers, and I know it helps, helps make it click for me too, is I ask them to imagine a three-legged milking stool, right? Kind of a relic from the past, but I go, okay, you got this three-legged milking stool, right? Two main components, the seat and the legs. For me, I picture the seat as us, you know, as ourselves, as our whole person. And also, what is the seat's job on a stool? That's the part that takes the load, that takes the weight. And we need to be able to take our loads and, and take our weight in life. And that can look like responsibilities related to work, family, friends, you know, our hobbies, all of those things. And so the seat part, us, that needs to be supported by the legs. And so those three legs represent three areas of health in my mind. That is our physical health, our mental health, and our emotional health. You know, physical health, that's easy. That's things with our bodies. So getting enough sleep, getting exercise, eating well, you know, getting your physical every year, just, you know, keeping your body maintained. 
And then mental health and emotional health, people sometimes get them confused. I know I used to not know the difference between the two, but I tell people think of them like a tag team, right? So we have this, this leg on our stool, mental health. And like I mentioned, mental health is really, it's about the health of your brain. And what is our brain's job? Cognition. And so when our mental health is poor, we may struggle with cognition. So our brain's job is to take in information from the environment around us and process it. And so if we are suffering from a mental illness or even just in a time of high or chronic stress, as we take in that information and process it, you know, I tell people to imagine it's kind of getting warped a little bit, right? And that is just because our brains are not healthy right now. And so we're getting the same information as everybody else, but we're processing it a little bit differently. And then our emotional health is really how we respond to that information our brain has taken in. So that's our reactions to things, the opinions we form, that kind of stuff is, is our emotional health. So if we are taking in this information, it's getting warped, then when we are reacting or responding to that information, that's why, you know, if, if you know somebody who's struggling mentally or has a mental illness, their responses to things may seem nonsensical or a little out there, you know, from left field. And that's really why it's because yep they're getting the same information as you but something in their brain is just changing it a little bit so they're looking at it a little bit differently and responding to what they are perceiving from the information so back to the stool so those are kind of the three legs right physical health and then mental health and emotional health and the thing with the stool is it's most comfortable when all the legs are strong and sturdy and even so the example I give people is imagine a night where you only get two hours of sleep. So if you're picturing your stool, the leg that's your physical health, just cut like an inch off of that leg. So you're still standing. The stool is still upright. It's going to be more uncomfortable to sit on. Or imagine if you have like a stack of books on there, if it starts tipping, some of those books are going to fall off. So yes, you, you can in fact function and go about your day-to-day -day with one or some of the legs of your stool shortened or, or not as strong as the others, but that's not going to be very sustainable. You know, we know about <laughs> general carpentry and furniture tells us that we want to have all those legs sturdy and well-maintained and even. So that is kind of how I like to approach it. Getting, getting back to your question here, is really thinking about, you know, not mental health all on its own, really thinking about the role that it plays in the system of your health. Sure. So how do you encourage somebody to start exploring their or taking stock in themselves? What can we do to better understand where we are at or what situation our legs are currently in? I tell people, and this is something I try to do every day, truly, and that's checking in with yourself, or, or some people call it doing a gut check. And I think, especially in agriculture, right, where we're busy, we're running around, we have way more on our plate than we need. And so we just don't take the time 
to check in with ourselves. And we may be thinking, oh, yeah, I'm feeling kind of crappy. We'll stop and, and think about that. And it doesn't need to be this big, long process. I mean, I maybe do this for like 30 seconds. And it's basically I check in with my nervous system. So that means do I feel really hot? Am I breathing heavily? Is my heart beating faster than normal? You know, am I physically responding to something that is stressful? And so that is is one thing I do. And then I also just think about what am I thinking right now? What are my feelings? And even just stopping to go, I feel really stressed or I feel really overwhelmed. That is a really great first step to take just to start to understand, you know, what what goes through your mind and, and how is your body reacting? Is it reacting? Checking in with yourself is is a really great way to start to get kind of those benchmarks for knowing when you're good and when you're not so good. Sure. And what can you do when you realize that you're not so good? Like what what can we do to maybe venture into the the correct lane? That is different for everybody. So that's kind of a hard question to answer. But something I really encourage people to do is to just start with taking some deep breaths regrouping, or sometimes it's also called grounding. I kind of like that idea of grounding, right? Because we may feel like we are just flying off in a million directions, or our brain is just in this other stratosphere flying around, not anchored. And so I really like the idea of grounding, which for me is simply taking control of my senses. So I'll sit there and I'll go, okay, you know, what, what are two things I can see and two things I can smell and two things I can hear and just kind of bring yourself back to your present moment. And also using that later on as, as kind of a meditative method. Now I know a lot of people when they picture meditation, they're like, oh, I'm, you know, sitting crisscross applesauce and meditating in a yoga studio. And it doesn't need to, doesn't need to be that, right? So especially for farmers, I encourage them, you know, when, when you're going from one building to the next during the day, when you're just walking for a little bit and maybe have even just 30 seconds to yourself, a little bit of quiet, you know, do it then just, and just think to yourself, what am I feeling today? What, what is bothering me today? Or what is making me feel good today? Just really kind of getting in touch with, with what are you feeling? And what thoughts are attached to those feelings? And do you have any actions that are attached to those thoughts and feelings? So it sounds kind of complicated, but then when you really think about it, it's super simple. It's just really about mindfulness. That's a big buzzword in, in mental health circles. But just being mindful. Like I said, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What actions are you taking based on those things? And that that is really a good base to to start at with kind of sorting through your mental health. And like I said, kind of getting that benchmark of what is good and then figuring out when when we're in the lows and when we're in the highs. So we're going into a new year. And that's usually the time that people are making resolutions and setting goals and stuff. How can we consider what tools are out there that we can include things related to our mental and emotional and physical health into our goals to help us have have a successful year? Oh, I just love that question because yes, this time of year, I love when we're getting into the new year 
I'm like, this is your chance. You you can start to work on this stuff. I will say, I think a really common New Year's resolution is always related to physical health. People want to lose weight or go to the gym more and get healthier. And that's great. I'm, you know, I'm a big proponent of physical health. And and Katie, you know, I'm a I'm an early morning gym goer myself. So I am all about that. And I I know for a fact that that has a really positive impact on my mental health. And so I think as we're thinking about these resolutions, you know, the first thing I tell people with goals, you have to be really realistic, right? So for example, oh, I'm going to start working out. I'm going to eat well. So I'm going to go to the gym five days a week. Is that sustainable? Is that realistic? Maybe we start with, I'm going to try to get to the gym two days a week. And if I can make that successful, then I'll add another day. And it can be the same with things for our mental health. Something that I have told farmers to do in the past, and I think it works. I, I tell them, you know, give yourself 10 minutes every day. Make, make a goal that every single day you are going to carve out 10 minutes for yourself. So that means no, no farm, you know, no work. Let people know, like create those boundaries. Be like, hey, you know, every, every day at one o'clock, I'm taking a 10 minute break. And I will not be bothered and I will not answer my phone. And that's just for you to do whatever you need to do. If it's sit and just relax, read the newspaper, great. Go for a walk or just to make sure that you sit down and eat a meal uninterrupted. That's a lot easier than going, oh, you know, I'm going to take a vacation for a week just to relax and help my stress. Like that's not realistic. You should take a vacation for a week. That's important to do. But I think that we really need to focus on starting with small goals. I mean, really small. Make them easy. Like this, this is me telling you, make it easy for yourself. And then it's so much easier to build on it. Because once you realize like, hey, 10 minutes a day, like I'm making this work. It's really doable. Maybe I can do 15 minutes a day. Or maybe I can make it one day a week. It's an hour. Just thinking about those things that you can do that are manageable in your schedule as it is currently. And then if you want to make more room in your schedule moving forward, you can. But I, I see and I've done it myself too. When we put way too much pressure on ourselves, you know, those resolutions, those goals, nothing's going to happen with them. I really encourage people to just think small but impactful. And 10 minutes a day for yourself can have a lot of impact. You mentioned boundaries. And I'll say as a a farm kid, boundaries, especially as it relates to work, is one of those things I really struggle with. And I think that is probably very true for a lot of farmers and a lot of kids who are raised on farms. How do you set boundaries without feeling guilty about setting boundaries? That is such a good question. So something that I... I actually, I say it to myself. This is a mantra that I've really started for me. And now I share it with others because it's worked for me. And that is, I tell myself, saying, you know, it's not saying no to something. It's saying yes to myself. And when we are so busy saying yes to everybody else, that means we're saying no to ourselves. And so that's how I approach boundaries. 
I I know what I can do and and I know my limits because I check in with myself and and have that awareness. I know what my benchmarks are. So yes, I I need to create boundaries and sometimes you know, that's as simple as if I get an email from somebody and they need something right away, I just email back and go, I'm away from my desk for the evening. I'll get back to you tomorrow. We all like to feel important. And I, I know that for a fact. I am an achiever to the max. So I like to feel important and I like to be recognized. But we, we need to kind of give ourselves a reality check too in that, are you really that important? You know, like, I and it it sounds <clears throat> kind of morbid but like anybody can do your job and that's what you have to remember like anybody can do your job but not just anybody can be a member of your family or be there and hang out with your friends and so with boundaries you really have to think about it less as how it's impacting other people and more how it's impacting you you know boundaries are for you they're not for other people. And yes, it can be very, very easy to feel like you're being selfish in a situation like that. And something I tell myself is I just go, hey, I'm taking care of myself. And self-care is not selfish. It's not because it makes me a better me. And then I can show up the next day and and be at my best and, and you know, tackle those emails and and then it's fine. I I really love that, that it's not selfish. It's just taking care of yourself. What are some ways that we or ourselves can support our friends and families and and neighbors who are either struggling with their mental health or just starting down their mental health journey? What are ways that we can be supportive of that versus just place it with it, I guess? I would say be more than just a bystander. And with that, the biggest thing people need, I find, and I know it's true for myself, I just like to be able to talk about what's going on and what's happening. And so being a listener, which we think that sounds easy, but sometimes we we mess it up. We can mess up listening. And that is, we need to recognize that when people are venting to us, it is normally because truly they just need to vent. Or I say it's like, I just need to get things out of my head and into the universe. So when people are venting to you or sharing about what they're going through or what they're thinking or feeling, they aren't necessarily looking for a response. And it is human nature, I think, especially in our world, that we're fixers, right? And so when people come to us and and are sharing problems or negative things, we want to fix it. So we want to come in with advice and we want to have ideas. But really, that person doesn't need fixing in that time. We truly just need to listen to them. And, And to me, I'm like, that's great. That takes a lot of pressure off of me. And then that way, I'm fully dedicated to just listening to what they're saying. You know, are we listening to understand or listening to respond? And and if we just take that needing to respond pressure away, then we can really just listen to understand. And another thing with the listening, and, and of course, we are going to want to say something, we're going to want to react. And you can do that. And again, they don't need help or advice unless they specifically ask you, what do you think I should do, right? Then that's your time. Go and be a fixer. But if they're just talking, 
and you can just say things like, wow, that sounds really difficult. Or, you know, thanks for telling me that, you know, just really reinforcing in them that their venting is a good thing and, and that you're glad they're doing it and that you support them. Something we want to avoid, this is something I run into a lot, and I know I used to be insanely guilty of it, and that is trying to kind of add a silver lining to people. The, well, it'll be better tomorrow, or the sun will come out tomorrow, or, you know, at least you still have X, Y, and Z, or at least this thing is still good. And I truly know that when people say those things, it is coming from a good place. But it is not being received the way you maybe think it is. Because what we're doing when we do that, and I know that we don't realize it, right? But really, we're minimizing that person's pain. Because what we're saying is, yeah, what you're going through is hard, but you still have all this other stuff. So you should be grateful for that. And, And again, that's not how we mean it, but that may be how the person feels about it. So it's really, really important to just stick with the facts and really focus on being empathetic. You know, the the silver lining and the at least and all that, that's really on being sympathetic. And people don't need our sympathy, right? They need our empathy. They need to know that we see them, we see their stress, we see their pain, and we acknowledge that it's real for them. And even if you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm going through stuff that's so much worse and I'm fine and I'm not you know, breaking down or really sad. And that's fine. Good for you. And, you know, I tell people, I'm like, this isn't about you. We all have different thresholds for pain and stress and everything. So something that may be really, really challenging for somebody might not be challenging for you, but that doesn't make it any less challenging for them. So it's really about meeting a person where they're at and just reinforcing for them that, yes, what you feel is really valid. It's very real. It's very difficult for you. And I'm sorry it's so difficult. And I'm glad you told me, you know, and then that's where you can ask, like, is there something I can do to help? Or, you know, how can I help you? Or how can I help you get the help you need? Just being really, again, first and foremost, you are there to listen, not to fix. And then you are there to to encourage and be empathetic, not to make them feel worse. Yeah, that's huge. So at the beginning of this, Emily, you mentioned that a farmer committing suicide was the reason why you've really pursued this segment of extension work. So I feel like we have to talk at least a little bit about suicide prevention and how we can spot warning signs, how we can help, what resources are out there to help if we personally need that. So I'm just going to open that one up for you. Yeah. And thanks so much for asking about that, Katie. It really is uh, a huge passion of mine and and something I do really regularly. So I actually teach a suicide prevention class once a month. It's QPR, which is question, persuade, refer training. So it's a one hour suicide prevention training. I can maybe get you the info to include in the show notes because these are online, monthly, free. They're offered by NAMI, Minnesota. NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So the Minnesota chapter and I have partnered together. And so through them, I offer this training. So a lot of what I talk about in that training is really related to what I've already said, honestly, to what I just said. And that is, if you know someone is struggling 
and you ask them how they are, you're checking in with them, and they just start divulging everything that's going on with them, listen to them, and again, tell them you're sorry things are so hard, you're glad that they told you what was going on. And as far as warning signs go too, just really being mindful of how a person is acting, what they are saying. So unfortunately, it has become really popular in our culture today to use phrasing around killing ourselves basically as hyperbole, as a negative reaction to something, right? I think of college and hearing my classmates say, if I don't pass this test, I'm going to kill myself. And, and obviously, that was not the case. But because that's become so common, I think if we hear people say those words, we don't really think about it. And so I have just made a practice that if I hear somebody say that, I will check in with them. And I try to do it in private, just one-on-one. And what that does too is even if I'm sure they were joking and nothing is wrong, it opens up an opportunity to have that conversation that phrasing that way maybe isn't the way to do it because it makes it harder for us to find people who are in fact suicidal and need help. And also it's kind of mocking those people that, that have died by suicide. That's a really big thing to watch out for is just people's language. What are they saying? Or saying things like, when I'm gone, or if I die, anything. I tell people, really just follow your gut. So if somebody is saying something and it's just making you feel a little bit off or making you wonder just a little bit, then you need to take action on that. And it's as simple as, yeah, talking to somebody. And it's very, very scary to, take, to ask somebody, are you thinking about killing yourself? And I have had to do it, and it's, you know, the opposite of fun, but you you have to. And and in my mind, like, it, it sounds dramatic, but this is a matter of life or death. And if somebody does say yes, you know, then I always tell people, like, give yourself five seconds to say all the four-letter words you can think of in your head, and then deep breath, focus yourself, and then you you have to help them. And so a big thing with that, like I said, is just the listening. Let them say what's going on. But if if somebody has admitted to you that they are suicidal, the biggest thing is they cannot be left alone. So stay with them. And then it's time to get them connected to resources as well. And I really encourage people, if you can involve the person in that or in that decision for who you're going to call, do it. So it may be just calling a parent or a family member. Perhaps they have a a therapist or somebody that they already work with. So them calling their doctor, calling the leader of their faith community. You know, a lot of people really, really lean on their faith leaders as well. So figuring out what that resource is. And if in doubt or if you're not sure what to do, uh, 1-800-273-TALK which I believe is 8255. That's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And the great thing about that resource and what I always tell people is, yes, if you yourself are suicidal, you can call that number. But if you are somebody who is assisting somebody who is suicidal, you can call that number as well and simply tell them that. 
Hi, my name's Emily. I'm with my friend Katie, and she told me that she is actively suicidal. What should I do? What is my next step? And they can kind of coach you through and potentially find local resources. So that I think is, is you know, a great resource to have handy just because it's nationwide. So it doesn't matter what state you're in. And I actually keep that phone number saved in my cell phone. Thankfully, I've never had to call it. But I'm glad that I have it so that if I need it, I don't need to be futzing around with finding it online and figuring it out. I can just, you know, go into my phone book and pull up Suicide Prevention Lifeline and go and be connected. So that's a really great resource. And every state has its various resources. I'm in Minnesota. So we have crisis response teams that we can call that can help assess situations, really getting mental health personnel involved in this is is really important and if somebody is really not well or or a threat to themselves they may need to be taken to a hospital taken to an emergency room so it it's a thing where there's no right answer because every situation is different but the biggest piece of advice i can give is that you do not have to do it alone so if somebody does tell you that that they are suicidal First, ask them, who else can you call kind of for backup for you? Because it's, it's hard to do it by yourself and, and you don't have to. Just getting together a couple more friends or, or their family members, some sort of support system. Because, you know, it's, it's stressful for the person who's, who's assisting too. It absolutely is. So, you know, my kind of recap, my big things are just checking in with people, asking them. And when they are telling you yes, or just telling you what's going on, listening, and then making sure you are connecting them to other help. And, and sometimes the person may say, oh, I feel so much better now that we've talked. I don't, I don't think I need any more help. And that may be the case. It may be them kind of panicking and trying to get out of it. So the advice that I give is just saying to them, you know what? I, I don't know either because I'm not a professional. So let's talk to somebody who is. And, you know, that's a way you can kind of redirect them if it seems like they're trying to get out of getting additional help. You know, because in situations like that, if they don't get that help, then things may, may end badly. And so it's really about kind of sticking that through all the way to the end to make sure the person's okay. And we will absolutely put those resource links in the show notes because I think those are very important to share with people. I want to end this on a, on a positive note or a happy note. Uh, so yes. because we, this is, you know, it's, it's heavy, but I think there's also positives in it and there's benefits in understanding where, where we are at with personally, as well as within our families as a, a holistic mental health bucket and emotional health. So I guess, Emily, what is a, a positive way to look at all of this? How can we end this, you know, feeling good going into 2022? For me, I really think it just goes back to doing those check-ins with ourselves and really being mindful of, of how we are feeling, how we are showing up to things. And that has been a really, really big part of my mental health journey. So I, I know I've mentioned it for the past two, two plus years, I have been suffering from both depression and anxiety. And that is what's really helped just me being able to kind of give myself my own reality check 
and just knowing and seeing how I've kind of regained control. So it it can be scary when we realize our minds are are kind of doing their own thing. And so it's really about controlling the way we're feeling, but also, you know, letting the way that we're feeling happen. We need to let that happen. And so I just try again to be really cognizant of what's going on with myself and what's going on with my family members. And I think just really checking in with people and something that I do, you know, you see somebody go, oh, how are you? How are you? And and for the people that I'm really good friends with, you know, we do that. How are you? And they say, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. And I always pause. And then I go, how are you actually? And just giving people those openings to to really tell you how they are. If somebody says they are fine, there is a 0% chance that they're fine. So <laughs> we just need to, yeah, look out for ourselves and, and look out for one another and find the things that make us happy and bring us joy. You, you get one life. And I always tell people there is no trophy for the person who has suffered the most in their life. So I think we put a high value on, on working hard and on working long hours and being involved in everything. And that's great. And I know for a lot of people that does bring them some happiness and does help fill their cup. But if we are giving so much of ourselves that we don't have any left for us, then that's when we need to kind of reevaluate what, what we're doing and, and what's important. That's perfect. This was great. Uh, I think that's a wonderful way to to wrap all that up and, and again, end it on a positive note, because I think that is important to do when we have conversations like this. So I guess, thank you so much, Emily, for taking the time to talk about all of this with us. And again, we'll have those resources in the show notes. So if you are looking for help, or if you know someone who needs help, those resources are available. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. It's been an honor and stay well, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you.